For 30 years, OXO has made kitchen tools to make everyday better. Karen Schnellwar, OXO's Vice President of Global Brand Strategy and Marketing, talks about how OXO reflected on this milestone. We decided that in addition to making tools and gadgets for the home, we wanted to take a step back and take a broader look at the home that we all share, the planet, and give back. OXO is partnering with 1% for the planet, giving 1% of sales back to environmental nonprofits. There is a sense of urgency when it comes to the planet. There's a growing awareness of the impact of our actions on the earth. And in so far as we can help, we want to be part of the solution. To learn more about OXO's partnership with 1% for the planet, visit OXO.com. That's OXO.com. Hi, Proof listeners, it's Bridget, and I am back with another bonus episode. Now, today, we're combining two things that are extremely popular within the podcast world and beyond. Of course, we're going to talk about food, but we're also talking about true crime. Now, due to the nature of today's content, I do want to let you know that this particular episode might not be suitable for children. Have you ever sat at a meal with your friends and started discussing what you would have for your last meal? And to be clear here, I am talking about the death row meal. I have discussed this many times with friends and families. Strangers have asked me this question. Now, today I am talking with the author of a cookbook that focuses on that last meal. And the title is The Serial Killer Cookbook. Ashley Lecker, welcome to Proof. Hi, Bridget. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to have you here. And the book is is so interesting. Not only did you tell stories and there's trivia, there's knowledge about each of these people that are in your book, but this really is a recipe book. I mean, you've taken the famous and some not so famous death row meals and really put your own spin on those meals. I would probably wager that the food that you're producing in this book is a whole lot better than what people were eating on that day. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to say that in the book, you are in no way glorifying any of the people that are mentioned. But this really is a curiosity that so many of us have. And when it comes down to it, the meal, the last request for a meal is incredibly intimate and very personal. Was there anything that you found during the development of this book and your research, anything that really surprised you here? Well, when we talk about last meals, we sort of use it as a blanket term, but in reality, it really does depend by state of who has last meals, who even allows for them. Because many times you just get what's on the menu or they'll have like a designated last meal, like that was what Bundy had. Or there's a price limit in some places too. So that was one of the things. It's just really not blanketed. It varies quite a bit by states that actually have the death penalty. That surprises me, too, because, again, if this is a point of discussion between friends and you're saying, oh, what would my last meal be? That just might not be an option for you. Yeah, depending on where you live, it might just be what you might get. I think one of them in the book is like the chicken a la king, which is that was just what happened to be on the menu that day for that person. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I would hope that donuts and bacon were on that meal right. that day for myself. <laughs> Sounds tasty. <laughs> <laughs> so who exactly is in charge of creating these meals? Is it the prison itself? 
reading through your book, I found some of the prisoners had requested meals from outside restaurants. But is there a specific protocol that they have to adhere to? Is there one person who works in the commissary who's in charge of that? Or is there, I don't know, an outside department or a caterer? Right. Well, the actual regulations, I mean, that would be up to the state. And then even within specific prisons, sometimes the warden, but within the actual prison, the person who prepares it is typically who's ever in charge of like the commissary at the prison, there's whoever the cook is. So flipping through the book, I noticed that I recognize quite a few of the names in there. There's some pretty famous people in there. And let's discuss some of those cases. Anybody you want to start with? The first person that comes to mind for me is John Wayne Gacy. John Wayne Gacy is from Illinois. He is classified as a serial killer. And his last meal was a dozen deep fried shrimp. And it was a bucket of KFC, original recipe chicken, french fries, a pound of strawberries, and a bottle of Diet Coke. This was the first recipe I made for this book. I did quite a bit of testing. And this is where I really played with the styling for this book, too. And so this one was always just a recipe that was special to me just because it was the first one. It was the first one I did in the book. Well, and it's an interesting connection as well. You made fried chicken. He requested fried chicken, and he worked at a KFC. Yes, that's correct. Right. So there is some, perhaps some sort of connection with his previous life before moving on to being a killer clown. Right, I think so. There's obvious nostalgia for him because he managed KFCs. And so I think that was in part like just the idea of the last meal. A lot of them go back to these comfort food kind of classics that they likely had as children or as adults prior to being charged and convicted and sentenced. Right. A more innocent period of their life, perhaps. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Bundy before. Uh, What did he eat on his for his last meal? So Bundy did not request a last meal. The prison that Bundy was at, he was given their standard meal, which in that case was steak, eggs, hash browns, toast with butter and jelly, and then milk, coffee, and juice. And he didn't eat any of it. But for the book, I made the steak and eggs. Right. Now, I did find in your book quite a few people refused a meal which I can imagine that that would be not unusual. Uh, Eileen Warnos, who's also pretty famous, um, the female serial killer, but she also did not eat. No, she didn't request anything. In the book, I made a hamburger recipe for her. She did eat prior in the day and at the canteen where she did get a hamburger and she got coffee. But after that, when it got closer to her execution, she did not partake. It makes you wonder, I mean, so many of the subjects of your book, so many of them for their last meal, they hearken back to maybe a more innocent, more pleasant time in their life, but she didn't even have that. Her upbringing was so distraught and destructive and maybe part of her not even wanting a a meal at all has something to do with that. There was no nostalgia for her. Now let's talk a little bit about some of the more extravagant (laughs) requests. I was really surprised reading your book, learning about the man who literally changed the policy of the state of Texas when it comes to last meals. Yes. Lawrence Russell Brewer is probably one of the more memorable people I have for a couple reasons. 
he never showed any remorse for his crimes. And I think part of that shows by what his meal was. And so what he asked for was two chicken fried steaks with gravy and sliced onions, a triple meat bacon cheeseburger with fixings on the side, a cheese omelet with ground beef, tomatoes, onions, bell peppers, and jalapenos, fried okra with ketchup, <laughs> one pound of barbecue with half a loaf of white bread, three fajitas with fixings, a meat lover's pizza, which typically would have like pepperoni, sausage, bacon, Canadian bacon, and ground beef, three root beers, one pint of bluebell vanilla ice cream, a slab of peanut butter fudge with crushed peanuts. <laughs> so that was what he ordered. And then he refused it. He wouldn't eat it. He refused all of it. All of it. That was the last time Texas offered a choice for a last meal. That request boggles the mind. I'm trying to think of how much time and money were spent to procure everything. And then the fact that he didn't even eat any of it, it mirrors his lack of remorse. It shows that he is basically one last time before he goes out giving the middle finger to everyone, especially the state of Texas. And I'm not surprised that they re-examined their policy. Now, another extravagant meal came from Thomas Grasso. And if you don't mind, I would love to read through this last meal menu. Grasso requested two dozen steamed mussels, two dozen steamed clams with lemon, a Burger King double cheeseburger, half dozen barbecued spare ribs, two strawberry milkshakes, one half of a pumpkin pie with whipped cream, we also have diced strawberries and a can of SpaghettiOs with meatballs. But there was a peculiarity about his last meal. Yeah, he was upset because he didn't get the canned pasta that he wanted. He got the replacement of such. And he wanted the presto. Those were his final words, is that he was just angry that his whole request hadn't been honored. So literally his last statement was about his grievances. Grasso used his last statement to air his grievances. I did not get my SpaghettiOs. I got spaghetti and I want the press to know this. So he wanted them to know that they were not carrying on his last wishes, which I think kind of, again, speaks to some of the self-centeredness. Right. It is a very skewed view of injustice, mm -hmm. not getting your SpaghettiOs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about some of the stranger requests? One of the people is Robert Anthony Buell, and he requested a single unpitted olive. So to be able to create that into a recipe was important because we wanted to even have those kind of weird ones that are in here. And so what I made with his is I made this single olive tapenade, which typically tapenade is made with multiple types of olives. And this one is not, and it's a very basic recipe that is really good on bread, or if you're a person who likes muffaletta sandwiches or any of those types of things, it's really good. But, I mean, how creepy is requesting a single pitted olive? So weird. So weird. So he's, it's so weird. You know, Ashley, I really enjoyed reading your book. And again, I have to say that you really walked this wonderful line of being respectful to the families of the victims and not praising these people that were given the last meal. But on top of that, there's just some really good recipes in there. Thank you. No, and thank you for that. I really do take this in conflict. So that was a big deal to me as the writer 
that, I mean, these people are, these people are monsters. They don't deserve to be glorified. But it is a book because it's a common interest. And I think that's what the cookbook does. It drives that. Well, thanks again for joining us. Really appreciate it, Ashley. That's great. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. And if you are a true crime fan and you want to immerse yourself even more into the final wishes of some of the most infamous people in the world, then please be sure to pick up a copy of The Serial Killer Cookbook. And we'll have more info on our website. That's americastestkitchen.com slash proof. <laughs>